Hello, welcome back. It's been a while, like a year, since we've done the last one. This would be episode 50, I guess. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, starting up, I'm going to do a few different types of podcasts moving forward. Uh, we'll not have as much as before, um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. So uh, we're starting it up again because people have been asking me uh, all the craziness in the world going on, so putting stuff out there. Um, this is going to be not an interview. It's going to be what I'm going to call a blog post series podcast where I go over uh, audio-wise blog post series I've gone over. I've done a few in the last little three or four months. So I'll do a podcast for each of the series and I'll throw in some other stuff probably in between. So this is episode 50 of Warrior's Den, brought to you by our new website, utcamu.com. If you want to learn Krav Maga online and become a lion, you can do it now. Well, you could do it before, but you can do it now with us. Uh, the website has free areas that you can access. It's limited right now, but we'll develop it over the time. And also, it has paid to access. So, uh, there, right now, we have paid access for the beginner curriculum and paid access for the beginner and novice curriculum that we teach at UTKM. Uh, advanced curriculum currently is limited access. We're still developing it. Uh, well, for the videos, at least. But basically, you can learn what we teach online, and eventually, I'll have uh, me teaching classes and stuff up there. I'll figure that out. But you know, learn online if you can't come train with us. Just know you cannot get ranked. We're not giving out belts. So, you want to get belts, come train with us in person. Otherwise, you can just sort of supplement your regular Krav Maga training uh, at utkmu.com. And, of course, you can check us out on Instagram, Urban Tactics Krav Maga, and Twitter, which I don't really use, but it's basically all the other posts we make at Urban Tactics KM on Twitter. And uh, what else do we have? Anyways, this is the Warriors Den. You're listening to the Warriors Den. Warriors Den. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. So anyways, uh... This series is titled Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. So I'm going to splice in the audio from the initial overview, Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. Um, and then I'll talk about it a little bit, but I'll do more talking after each of the uh, other components. This co- the, the multiple components of this are uh, digital self-defense, financial self-defense, and mental self-defense. Um, I should say that one of the earlier uh, ideas of UTKM that never really took off because, you know, we're not big enough, couldn't get there, was to give everyone the skills to survive in the urban environment, right? Nowadays, physical self-defense is only a component. Now, depending where you live, that might be a daily occurrence or it might be almost never if you make good life choices, right? Uh, you have to kind of seek out violence in some places and other places is just a natural way of life but other than that we have 
other areas of life, mental health, you, you know, we're on digital world, so you got to protect yourself digitally now. So back to the point was that one of the founding things I wanted Urban Tactics to be was to give you the self-defense skills to survive in the urban environment, mental, physical, spiritual, otherwise. Uh, obviously, we're still focusing on the self-defense aspect, but through the blog and, uh, and the podcasts, I'm hoping I can uh, supplement that in the future. Or now, I guess, if you're listening to it. So anyways, here is the first splice of the self-defense is not just physical. Self-defense is not just physical. This is the first in a series on this topic. Once upon a time, learning to defend yourself was a simple matter of fending off wolves and stopping physical violence from others. Okay, not so simple, but still much more like black and white than the kind of things we need to defend ourselves from in the 21st century. Where it was once only about the physical, now we need to consider many other factors. Don't get me wrong, the physical self-defense is still very important, as it is the fundamental, and I have, after all, dedicated my life to teaching others to defend themselves from physical violence. Even though the physical aspect is what would be considered more my area of expertise, I am aware of and often talk about other aspects of life that require a kind of self-defense strategy, in addition to the knowledge and skill to deal with them. I will be discussing three areas of interest that I think people often need help with in understanding so they can properly defend themselves. I will expand on each of these topics in subsequent posts. These are digital self-defense, financial self-defense, and mental health self-defense. Quick overview, digital self-defense. Everything that was once pen and paper to be found only in specific buildings now forgotten called libraries is now stored digitally on computers or in the cloud, accessible to anyone with enough skill or patience to trick the systems. While we often think it is mainly about having a strong password, many people still use password Zero one or one two three four five six terrible ideas. Digital security is also much more complicated than that. Do you know what a phishing scam is? They are very common, yet many people still fall prey to them. In fact, the famous Hillary Clinton email hack was traced to someone falling to such a scam, and should have known better. I mean, you're in politics, jeez. As a case in which phishing changed the course of political history for all to see. Or, how about the porting scam, in which scammers transfer your phone number to another carrier so they can reset all of your passwords? So much for two-step authentication. It can easily be easy to fall prey to these if technology is not your thing. Best case scenario, you simply have to change a few passwords. Worst case scenario, you have your entire savings cleared out in seconds. So have you done everything you need to do from preemptively to protect yourself digital, your digital self? Financial self-defense overview. Did I mention you can have your savings wiped out if you fall prey to digital scams? That is to say, if you in fact have any savings in the first place. More and more, especially in the younger generations, people are struggling to defend themselves financially, either because they can't manage to save any money or they have not they're not sure what to do if they have it. Investing can be scary, and preparing for your retirement is something that can be put off for a long time, because you feel like you have forever until that day. 
However, the earlier you learn financial self-defense and thus earlier you save and invest, the better off you will be. Yes, financial literacy is extremely lacking, and it is increasingly harder to manage things yourself without ironically forking out loads of cash to pay an expert. The thing is, the more financially literate you are, as soon as possible, the easier choices will be in the future. That is, unless you happen to start during a black swan event, like what's been going on in the market recently. Then it's just bad luck, the COVID market. Either way, how financially prepared are you to deal with the inevitable ups and downs you will face throughout your life? Overview of mental self-defense. This is a topic to which I have discussed before, and for many it may be in fact the hardest thing to deal with. How you address it will also depend on where in the world you are when you read this. It may or may not be considered a culturally acceptable topic and or there may not be support readily available for mental health. Additionally, mental health realistically is a relatively new topic in its own right and as a result there are many aspects we are still trying to figure out. Which means finding meaningful and a closer to correct answer can be difficult. Difficult becoming a seemingly impossible if you are in the middle of a specific mental health crisis. On this, I will argue, like all self-defense, that if you are able to, you are the only, the one most responsible for regulating and rebuilding your mental health, even when you have a strong support network. If you don't have a support network, then you know that you are not alone in the world. This topic is very sensitive and is often connected to experience related to physical self-defense, or it may be connected to other considerations such as genetics, family history, or particularly non-violent events in your life. Either way, it is a complicated subject and requires a certain level of understanding and knowledge to truly delve into. Yet, day-to-day mental health and happiness may be more important than physical self-defense, assuming you are in a safe country. If you are somewhat somewhere that physical self-defense is still a big part of your daily life, then often your mind may be too preoccupied to even realize that you're suffering mental health problems. Just know, as with physical self-defense, there are training options for both preventative measures and coping mechanisms to deal with such issues. Conclusions One thing to remember in this world is that increasingly more and more complicated is the importance of understanding that everything is interconnected. Only focusing on one area of your self-defense really is only looking at one part of the picture. It can be hard to understand it at all, but if you are oblivious to the workings of your life, your emotions, and the world around you, then you will be even more difficult to overcome hardship when you are blindsided by even events that you could have done something to stop had you been aware. Remember, no matter what type of self-defense you are practicing, at the end of the day, The only person who can really protect you is you. Waiting for others to step up may often just mean disappointment, which means further conflict, both internally and externally, which means you may or may not feel like you have any power at all, which is the farthest thing from the truth. So what are you going to do to improve your ability to defend yourself physically, digitally, financially, or mentally? So there you have that part and you get a general idea of what it's about maybe you have thought of another topic at this point that you could have um 
need to learn to defend yourself in, whatever that may be, right? Having the life skills to make you the most optimal person for yourself, happiness, physically and spiritually, is a, is a difficult task these days, especially if you didn't have strong mentorship and upbringing. And you could have an amazing, quote, upbringing with no mentorship and you can go off the rails. You look at a lot of rich kids that go off the complete rails because no one's teaching them the skills um, to develop and, and defend themselves mentally against social media. Don't read the comments, for example, right? Block people uh, or become the troll master yourself. <laughs> Some people take that uh, as, a, as a mental self, but no one teaches you these skills, right? Uh, and of course, we'll break it down more as we splice in the other ones, but like financial self-defense. I know tons of people who've been asking for something in high schools about financial planning. Uh, etc. Or digital self-defense, right? If you're new to technology, although at this point I don't know why, um, do you know how to deal yourself and protect yourself, right? And mental, of course, is an area that we're going to expand on quite a bit. So here is the first one of the three is the digital self-defense. Enjoy it. Digital self-defense. This is the first of three sections expanding on the original piece titled Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. As much, of you, as much as you may try to resist, myself included, the future of humanity is looking more and more digital. I'm a member of the bridge generation. I was born before the widespread use of the internet, but I was also fortunate to have it in my home early. Though I am not a tech whiz, I am fairly comfortable with technology to degree, for some tasks, I prefer the old ways, like taking notes by hand. Who am I kidding? I won't even read them either way. For others, I prefer the news, like listening to audiobooks rather than reading. I find it's more time efficient since I can't read and drive, but I can listen and drive. Don't read and drive. No matter your preference, it is here and it is not going anywhere. So you need to adapt or proverbially die. While it is easy to simply think of self-defense as responding to a physical attack, don't forget that there are many ways you need to protect yourself in the 21st century, which now includes digital self-defense. While your data and information is more secure, there are, alas, more ways to attack it. Additionally, many companies like Google or Apple are selling your information to the highest bidder. Remember, their free services are not the real product you are, the thought of which, as a human being who prefers some level of privacy, can be quite disturbing. So how do you protect yourself in an increasingly digital world? First off, get educated. If you are one of those people who refuses to learn how to use technology, I am sorry, but you will find yourself in the dust as you become more and more reliant on those around you who do understand it. If you are a parent, this often means your children. Consider also that, trust me, if they know how to use the technology better than you, there is very little you will be able to do to protect them from all of the internet has to offer. They will find a path to it. When it comes to technology and how to use it, your kids may actually be smarter than you. So now is the time to start learning. When it comes to protecting your online data, something to remember is that criminals are always looking for new ways to steal it from you. So learning a few ways to protect yourself will help stop them as cyber criminals generally do not want to waste their time on difficult targets like on the street predators attack the weak. Passwords. 
There is a reason that passwords are no longer the only way to protect digital content. Most people choose garbage ones. If your password is a standard one that anyone might use or is easy to guess by perusing your Facebook page, then you may find yourself getting hacked, especially if all your information is public. Terrible passwords are still shockingly common. For example, quote, password, or 123456, or QWERTY. You are not clever. You are being lazy if these are what you are using. Also, using anything related to your birthday, your children, or your pet's names can be very easy for hackers to figure out. Modern standards recommend passwords that are comprised of long strings of randomly generated numbers and symbols. These are not only impossible to guess, they are impossible to remember. Example, lowercase dt, uppercase n, 6, uppercase v, lowercase n, dash x, at sign 2, lowercase y, lowercase q, uppercase g, lowercase e, he, up arrow thingy. While these are very strong passwords, as it would take forever to decrypt one, you will likely rely on Google or Apple to remember them for you, making it unlikely you remember it in an emergency. Though not as strong as a random string, a passphrase is a good option. These are strings of unconnected words with both caps and lowercases, maybe even one or two numbers or symbols added in that are much easier to remember. Example, purple monkey heart one colon. No, these are not passwords I use, so don't bother trying. By being random and having unconnected words, passphrases make it much harder for even the best hackers to use brute force to get into it. With that being said, if they really want, they can probably get in. That is why they started adding multi-factor authentication processes to most systems. The most common of these being two-factor authentication or two-step verification, confirming your identity via code sent to your email or phone number. Though, as I recently found out, that there are scams that can easily get around this. The best two-step verification is actually having a verification program on your phone that randomly generates a verification code when you log in, which changes every minute or so. These are very, very difficult to get around, but if you lose the device it is on, you may end up getting locked out in the end. It has happened with a lot of cryptocurrency accounts that require such, require such security. No matter what the password you use, just make sure you don't use the same one for everything. That you change them periodically and that you ensure they are strong and something you can remember without help. IP protection. Before looking into at internet protocol IP protection, let's talk about what an IP is. An IP is essentially your digital address. Every device connected to the internet has one. They look like this. For example, 45.85.91.20. Well, it's a bit more complicated than that. For the sake of the article, let's keep it to that. Why should you use to protect why should you protect your IP? Easy. It is another way to help prevent people easily getting into your computer or data. This includes both malicious hackers, data mining companies, and the government. Where it once took high level tech knowledge and skills to mask your IP, now you can purchase and set up what is called virtual private networks VPNs. Essentially, a VPN sets up a second IP to mask your actual one. You can even set your false IP to indicate that you are in another country, making it hard for people to figure out where exactly you are. Yes, this includes the government. Generally, unlike the movies, most government agencies will have a hard time tracking you if your VPN or multiple VPNs set up. 
While eventually they could track you, it will take time and resources, which in most cases, it is not worth their time. Outside of protecting yourself from Big Brother, it really just makes it harder for hackers to break into your computer or network, encouraging them to seek easier prey. Consider also, if you regularly use public Wi-Fi and do not have a VPN set up on your computer, phone, or tablet, you may not be as protected as you think, as public networks such as those at Starbucks are easy targets for criminals looking to get into your computer. And trust me, you will not even know they are in your device until it is too late. So, what are you waiting for? Mask your IP to protect the devices today. Various Scams Last but not least, scammers, these are generally the main threats that you have to protect yourself from. Once someone is able to get into your system, they can steal all your information. While there are numerous ongoing scams out there, I am only going to cover a few to give you an idea of how people can bypass security from least sophisticated to most sophisticated. Least sophisticated being, send me your money. Shut up and give me your money. Take my money. Whatever. These scams are as old as well people in society, I think. The only difference is now, instead of getting a person at the door or a physical mail, you will get an email. These scams are easier to spot if you know how to look, and they usually target vulnerable groups like the elderly and immigrants. To accomplish this, they are often written with poor grammar, and subpar writing eliminates people who are too educated or discerning to be visible targets. Actually, as a martial arts gym, owner, I regularly get these, as the email starts out with, Dear Sir or Madam, is usually a red flag, as it is probably someone who paid to get your email and does not actually know who you are. Common approaches people pretending to be long-lost relatives in need of money because of financial hardship or someone stuck in another country. In general, the best way to deal with them, other than learning to spot them right away, is to start asking questions. They cannot give you detailed answers without giving you giving them information first. It is probably a scam. The example I'm going to use is the, is the one I usually have to deal with. It is typically someone asking for a private lesson for two to three kids. They state that they will send a private driver with a fake cashier's check for much more than the agreed amount, asking that reimbursed for them the difference and give the cash to the driver. Usually they want cash, or if they give the credit card to the driver, it means they want to copy it. The first time I got this, I took it seriously. Now any time someone asks for private lessons involving a private driver and kids, I usually just ignore it. Remember, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Additionally, if it seems suspicious and convoluted, it probably is. Guard your information, particularly your credit card information, and never give money to someone who is supposed to pay you. That one should be a no-brainer. Phishing scams. What is a phishing scam? Wikipedia says this. Phishing is the fraudulent attempt to obtain sensitive information such as usernames, passwords, and credit card details by disguising oneself as a trustworthy entity in electronic communications, typically carried out by email spoofing or instant messaging. It is often direct users to enter personal information to a fake website which matches the look and feel of a legitimate site. Phishing is an example of social engineering techniques being used to deceive users. Users are often lured by communications pur purporting to be from trusted parties such as social websites, auction sites, banks, online payment, and or IT administrators. By the way, that's how the Hillary Clinton scam got. IT administrator said allegedly needs to reset password and uh, it was a fake email. 
These scams usually require you to click on a link and can come in email or text form. These days, they can even look like they are coming from a legitimate source such as your phone provider or a federal department. In fact, this was the kind of scam used in the infirmary Hillary Clinton email scandal, as mentioned, while the focus was on her having a private server, the crucial fact was the intruders gained access because some fool clicked on a link disguised as an official-looking password reset. Except the sucker victim never requested a password reset, but because it looked legitimate, they clicked anyways. Never click on a link you are not sure about, did not request, or is within a message containing spelling errors, incorrect logos, or odd URLs, or emails with weird positioning of the letters. If you are not sure, always check online to find the appropriate contact information for the actual company or group involved and double check with them that it is legitimate or not. By the way, these scams cause havoc for legitimate business entities as well as real messages are often ignored because of they appear fraudulent, e.g. private lesson emails. When in doubt, double check and never click that link if you are not sure. Though this is the type of scam a more sophisticated uh, as requires actual computer and tech skills, not just the gifts of the gab like the previous ones, it still requires the victim, you, to actively do something to work on it. Port scams. This is the last one that we will discuss uh, and is a more recent one and is a bit more complicated. This is the last and as most sophisticated as is fairly recent and often by the time you have realized anything that has happened at all, your money is gone. Your credit card is maxed out, Amazon and PayPal accounts racked up, and you are sitting there wondering why the hell companies you were paying did nothing to stop it. This is a scam that actually targets cell phone information. Remember how we said that many accounts now require two-factor verification, which usually means sending confirmation text to the phone for actions such as password resets. This scam targets that system. It is... Seems to have popped up in the last few years, but even the media coverage, very little has been done about it. As the phone company wants to admit that they have glaring holes in their client security, or they do not want to admit. Uh, How the the hackers get your phone and personal information, which often includes your email, I'm not entirely sure. It is possible that payoffs to some low-level employees of phone companies, another reason why you should be nice to people, or perhaps they get one byte of your information and employ social engineering across a few services. Once they acquire enough information, they are able to contact the phone company and pretend to be you in order to port or transfer your phone number over to another carrier on their device, which is most likely on a burner phone. They will now receive all of your password reset texts. Now all they have to do is go into your email, Amazon, PayPal, ETC, follow the forgot password steps since they now receive verification text. They can change your password to one of their choosing and log into your accounts. See your phone carrier, email provider, Amazon, they just got duped and their entire sophisticated service network is now breached. And within less than 24 hours, you are totally, utterly screwed. By the way, if you lose your email, this will include any personal material you have stored there, such as X-rated photos or sensitive personal information or work information. Sometimes these hackers will even blackmail you, demanding money in exchange for not releasing this private material. Insidious, I know. You will now 
Be on the phone call, after phone call, losing your sanity as every single person you call, usually lower level call center people probably don't even know what the real, what this is real yet. How do I know is it happened to someone very close to me? So no matter how good the security is, where there's a will, there's a way. These pesky scammers and hackers will keep evolving and they will find ways around the newest security. Be careful and always immediately follow up on any text or email that mentions your number being ported. Because if you do get that, it probably is and will only take about 10 minutes for them to do it. How you can stop this, call your phone provider and ask for port protection if it is not already there. It means your number cannot be ported without a lengthy process, which is too long for most scammers. At this point, I don't know why this is not already automatic, but I suppose it means the phone companies would have to admit they are at risk, which they never do. Conclusion The best way to protect yourself is through education and due diligence. Avoiding technology because you do not like it or do not understand it means you are actually an easy target. Don't trust anything suspicious and follow up if you need to. Soon the world will be written more digital than analog and just like physical self-defense, you are responsible for yourself because no one else really cares. Or if they do, you are the front line and are able to react faster to stop potential data leaks or hacks. So be educated, be proactive, and keep your wits about you. Okay, so I hope that wasn't too technical. I've tried to keep it simple because, you know, you can if you listen to the right or wrong person for you, it'll, of course, um, just be a bunch of words, you know. And um, basically, um, it won't help you with anything. So these we tried to keep it simple in this. And, you know, passwords, stop being an idiot, you know. Um, you don't want to get too complicated, of course, because we've all forgotten the password and then you have it written down somewhere. And then you're in trouble. Uh, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. An example that I can think of, you know, I teach the firearms course here in Canada. And a story I was told once was there was a wealthy individual in uh, the Vancouver area who had an apartment. And he had a basically a gun room. So it's a room with a locking door and everything. And he left the password written on a piece of paper in the kitchen. And his cleaning later, lady, who was regularly there, no problem called in sick replacement come replacement was determined to clean the room that was locked hmm that's not too bright right there anyways but whatever some managed to find the password written down and then got in freaked out when she saw a room full of guns and then called the police and the police canadian laws etc i won't get into them too much i can do a whole series on guns and stuff another late time i think i will um basically said oh you didn't store them properly and took them all the way all because the guy couldn't remember his password wrote it down and put it down so you have to think about that where are you storing your passwords is it possible someone might get access to them right and is your password something easy to remember so i usually do what i suggested was the passphrases of some kind that i will remember it's not the one in that thing so don't try um That way my brain is more hardwired to remember than some like random string of numbers and symbols unless you're a savant and can remember. But again, if you're just using password, birthday, pet things, like you do want to get hacked, you know, and I don't want to get too much into the politics on this one. I know how a lot of people love that, but the Hillary Clinton email scandal, dude, idiot, got an email saying it's a password reset, didn't bother, clicked on it. He didn't request a password reset, didn't verify it. He's in the damn White House. 
clicks on the damn phishing link, boom, huge scandal. Could It might have been the reason she lost, but also I think she's an insane person. Say what you want, she would have been worse. Whatever. Um, yeah, and, it, you know, two-step verification is really good. What happens? Your phone breaks, right? You have one of those locking apps. Your phone breaks, you lose it. Good luck getting into that, you know, people with cryptocurrencies. So there's this, this balance, you know, of too strong, too not strong enough that you have to do to protect yourself. Because you know what? That's just stupid if you if you let people get in, right? And then, of course, IP protection, right? It's not, it used to be a very difficult thing to do. You know, the thing of like James Bond or Mission Impossible where it pings across the world. You know, that's basically a IP VPN. Uh, it used to be you needed to code and all sorts. Now you just pay people, um, pretty good companies. I'm not going to mention any by name because they're not sponsoring me. So whatever, there's lots of good ones, right? And it's super simple. I use them all the time and you can even use them to access like uh, Netflix elsewhere. Um, so basically... Um, like Japan Netflix, you can use that. So basically, there is that. But if you enjoy Japanese Netflix, it's totally worth it, right? And it also protects you from the governments, right? You know, you could say it's conspiracy theory, but not really considering the instability of how things are going. And all it takes is radical shift in public opinion, which is easily swayed now by social media or the mainstream media. I don't know why you're still paying attention to those idiots. Um... But, you know, there's people could be watching. And you, generally speaking, government skills to get into these systems is not very good. To, so using a VPN will make it very difficult if you're that type of person. It's just, you know, also if you use public Wi-Fi, as I mentioned, right? It's getting hacked in like a Starbucks Wi-Fi is, is extremely normal. So you really need to, you know, just because you don't understand how any of this works doesn't mean you can't protect yourself, right? Um then there's the paranoid people. I'm not clicking on any links I don't know. And he sent it to people that you personally know. You're like, hey, I'm sending you this link. Yeah, you need to click on it. You know me. I'm talking to you on the phone. No, I'm not clicking on it. You know, because they don't actually understand how to tell the difference between something, you know. Um, and, uh, right, the send me money ones, if you fall for that, you're an idiot. I, I just don't know what to say, right? Phishing scams, as I mentioned. Now, the port scams is a new one, and that. You know, this is an example of big corporations are totally screwing the pooch because my understanding with this one was it was actually in Europe for a while and it started coming over here in North America and they really had no goddamn clue what was going on. I know because it happened to a friend of mine and they were freaking out all week. You know, luckily they're in a kind of OCD and they just are nonstop calling and harassing and getting every all their accounts freed up. But it took weeks and weeks, which is stress people do not need and you know, you trust these organizations, phone companies, right away, the ones in Canada suck. They're cartel. You can essentially say they're all a cartel trying to scam us out of our money. They're the most expensive in the world, and they can't even protect us from this stuff. It's a bunch of nonsense. But they do that. They keep it quiet. They try not to make a big deal, even though when we looked it up, we found numerous um, media posts about it. And uh, it's like, what? how come they haven't done anything? Like, just simply adding port protection automatically your phones would have solved that problem so the, the point about that is you can't trust the organization sometimes to protect your security because they get hacked all the time or uh you know there's a new scam they don't know about and that or they know about it and they pretend they don't know about right the old ones like the send me your money i'm your long lost cousin or phishing scams have been around for quite a while 
right? And worms, which we'll, I didn't talk about, but, you know, they basically get into your computer from something you've downloaded usually, or any virus for that matter. So you do have to be careful, right? Trusted sources only and verify as you need. Because again, our lives are digital now. So if you, if you don't do anything, you're going to get screwed. So, I mean, come on, man. Um, this one's pretty self-explanatory, right? I think the audio is, is uh, not too long, although I think the audio is screwing around on me, so I'll have to fix it, but whatever. Um, it's pretty straightforward. If you don't trust the link, keep your security good. You will be in good shape, but lose it all, and you will be kind of screwed because, well, you know, uh, anyways, so the next one is financial self-defense. So this one is an area that, um, well, you really need to look into, and you also need to know the financial laws where you live, ta taxation, you know, place like Canada, the taxes just keep going up every time center, left of center governments get in because they overspend. And the best way you can protect yourself from that, I, d I don't, by the way, I don't believe taxation is outright theft, although the argument I've heard about use of force from the government and et cetera, uh, it's a valid one, but, you know, I think they take too much and, and mismanage it because they, of all people, don't seem to understand <laughs> things sometimes. Oh, if we screw up, we won't take responsibility. We're just going to raise the taxes. Uh, last three governments screwed up, uh, we're just going to raise the tax. The only way you can really protect yourself from this is financial literacy because there's that saying, death and taxes, the two things you can't avoid. They will get you. No matter if all of us think it's insane and all of us think that they're charging too much and you know, I'm all for a flat tax rate, get rid of the bureaucrats. We don't need so many. Get rid of the loopholes. Just pay a flat tax rate. Everyone says it can't be done. It only can't be done because the bureaucrats and the status quo system doesn't want it to happen. It would simplify everything and everyone would be paying their appropriate shares. Just my two cents, but what do I know? Um, you know, I was listening to this other podcast about that. They're saying it's a, it's a conservative thing that needs to die because it's never going to happen. But then if you really think about why is it never going to happen... The system is just not allowing it. And that's really all. You know, we need those kind of reforms, say a flat tax rate of 10 or 15%, right? With a, obviously, a minimum amount that you need to make to pay into it or something. And then after that, it's just a flat. And then you pay it no matter what. Flat corporate rate, flat everything. Just flat. No write-offs, no nothing. Boom. And people say, you know, what is the incentive? The incentive is you actually end up keeping more money. I suppose the behavioral aspect of finances is why they say it'll never work because they believe that you need that fi that social incentive, which we are human. Could be, I'm not an economist. I'm just saying. Or you're just a bad spender. So you need to prepare financial literacy. But anyways, listen to the post and then we can talk more. Financial self-defense. This is the second of a three-part section expanding on the original piece titled Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. In the modern world, being financially stable can be harder than ever, especially when the vast majority of people are living paycheck to paycheck. One of the biggest mistakes the average person makes is not thinking long term, but rather choosing an instant gratification, getting something now and having nothing for later. A common belief is that our school systems do not spend enough time or any time on financial literacy. 
Basic education should include simple things like how to put together a rudimentary budget or how to prepare your taxes or how basic investing works. While we often blame the rich for getting richer as the poor get poorer, one of the reasons this trend continues is that either the rich, understanding how to make their money work for them, understand the financial system and how to protect their money, or they have the resources to hire the people who do. For most of us, it's really a matter of understanding we are starting with less. So unless you happen to have the next big idea, it is going to be a long-term thing. Which hard Work hard when you are younger and invest smart, then maybe you can retire in even your 40s or 50s. While I am no expert, I can certainly tell you the things that I have learned mostly from screwing up and being broke. What I can say for certain is that the part of personal self-defense is the ability to be ready financially to deal with the inevitable financial blows that life will throw at you, even if that means you had solid enough financials to have a line of credit on hand in case of emergencies. Though having money in the bank is ideal, having financial buffers will save you from the deep hole that is financial ruin. So be smart and include financial planning into your self-defense plans. Don't spend past your budget. As a martial arts instructor teaching a style that is not overly popular in my region, living on a tight budget is something I have become used to. However, as the world is increasingly difficult to survive in with less money managing, managing what little you have is key. I question, a question I often ask myself is, how do people who make four or five, six or thousand, $6,000 a month after taxes still manage to be broke? or at least say they are. It is probably because they seek instant gratification and buy everything they can rather than preparing for the future. They seek experiences and the now over anticipating the future. While that's fine something do while that's fine, sometimes do it too much and you may be on the path to financial disaster. Of course, the less money you have, the harder it can be to stick your budget uh, because you have to make important decisions on what to buy or which bills to pay, especially with complications like COVID-19. It's at these times in the life when budgeting comes in handy, or rather it, sh- it would have had you done it. One of the hardest things for people to do, especially when they don't have much money in the first place, is to include in their budget a rainy day fund and retirement savings. They may not seem important now, but they are. I'll come back to this. A basic budget should include necessities such as housing, food, and in most cases, transportation. Anything beyond that, at least according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, may in fact be a luxury. If you have the money to spend more than have at all. If you have the money to spend more than have at, have at it. But if you don't think, think, do you really need the newest iPhone? Okay, so enough talk. In the absence of credit... A budget is a simple act of planning your finances so that money coming in can cover the cost of money going out. If you have no credit or options similar to this, then a budget is a must. If you do not create the following one, then you may find yourself not eating. Let's look at something simple. Mike has $3,000 after taxes every three months. Every month. Rent, $1,200. Food, 500 Transportation, 800 
After the basic are covered, Mike has 500 extra a month. Most people would spend that on eating or out or toys. A smarter planner would take some of that and put it away, even if it's only a little. Let's say he puts 100 a month away into retirement savings, 100 into an emergency fund. That now leaves 300 for entertainment and toys. What if Mike works hard and earns a raise? Now he has 3200 every th- every month. If Mike has already financially stable, why not put extra money directly into his savings investments? If he was doing fine without it, then he will have 200 boost in savings without a noticeable change in his lifestyle. While most people these days do not like to operate in a frugal mindset, in the long run, planning investments and emergency funds into your budget is crucial, so that in hard times you are not destitute. So be smart, start early, and reap the later benefits of a well-planned budget. Invest early and consistently. Assuming you manage to put something away for investments and retirement, the earlier you do it, the better. Have you heard of something called compound interest? Essentially, it's interest on the interest. This is the key to long-term savings and building your early retirement. If I put $100 into my retirement savings and it averages 3% return annually, then after one year, it's $1,236, depending on frequency of interest and compounded. The next year, I put in another $1,200, which would also receive 3%, but it would be 3%... it would so it would be the original 1236 resulting in 2509 rather than just 2472 which basically means the first $36 in interest which you didn't invest from your pocket originally is continuing to grow for you maybe confusing to understand but it's easier when you read it the earlier you do this the more the interesting stacks and as long as you have more than you earn and the longer you have the more you earn If you started saving for retirement in your 20s versus your 30s, the difference in the end numbers can be quite staggering. The amount of money you would need to put into your 30s to get the same results you would have gotten if you started modestly in your 20s is quite a lot more than you think. The math is out there. I'm not doing it. Sorry. (laughs) I say again, start early even if it's only $50 per month. The best way to start early is, of course, as a parent. Start saving for your child's future and not just for school. In a trust, and your child will have an amazing head start. Of course, don't just give it to them when they are 18. Make them wait and ensure they have learned financial literacy and good spending habits early. Another important consideration in favor of investing early and consistently rather than lump sum is the ability to average out your costs of purchases across lows and highs in the market. The idea of buying low and selling high really isn't what you think. Even the world's greatest investor, Warren Buffett, doesn't try to time the movements of the market. He does his research and plays the long game. Even when the market crashes, it can be an excellent time to buy if you are planning for the long term. That is, if you are buying more conservative blue-chip funds, rather than trying to play the actual stock market, which is not advisable unless you have a lot of disposable income and really know what you are doing. For the record, most people I know who play regular market with only a few thousand dollars which they can't really afford to lose, typically lose. So play the long game and be smart about it. Remember, even if you had invested in Apple, Microsoft, or Amazon early on, only to sell a year later and made some money, it is nowhere near the amount you would have made if you held on. Of course, there is also no way of knowing which companies will be the next big ones, so if you aren't sure, I suggest leaving it up to the experts. Now, 
a day's due to online banking, you can manage your money on your own. That being said, buying a, the professionally managed funds in the long run, in most cases, is going to give you a higher return than simply guessing and playing the lows and highs. Why? Compound interest and people who know better than you. So start early, be consistent, and don't just gamble. Play the long game. Diversify. Unless you happen to get lucky with the next big stock and cash out just in time for you to see the crash, it is best to diversify. It's really, In reality, even the best investors can't time the market and may lose billions in one big market swing or correct crash. Those who come out on top tend to be the ones who do so because they play the long game and have diversified portfolios. They still have money working for them somewhere when a cat crash outright destroys others. Diversifying basically means do not put all your eggs in one basket, even if you are playing conservatively and sticking to large professionally managed funds. You should have your money spread out between a variety of categories. Though what percentage is split uh, how and how is totally up to you. Maybe you have 50% of your money in funds tied to your country, 30% precious metals, and 20 in highly volatile high-risk reward stocks. Maybe you have a different breakdown. Really, it's up to you and your money managers to decide based on your comfort and your goals. Diversifying will almost always give you more protection if one area does poorly and can help you in the dollar cost averaging in the long run, making you out come out on top even when times are tough. Remember the dot-com bubble of the 90s or the more recent cryptocurrency bubble? Or COVID-19 crash for that matter? People lost everything because they put everything into single ventures and lost it all. Consider that if you are hearing about it on the news, chances are that people who made the real money are already out and you are just a sucker. Of course, if you want to put 20% of your money into such risky endeavors, no one is stopping you. You may be ki make a killing, but it's also all about when to sell and most people sell too late. But if the rest of your money is tied up in safer funds, then at least that 20% loss wasn't everything. Be smart, and you guessed it, play the long game. Conclusion, I should remind you at this point that finances are not my expertise, and I admittedly do not have much money. These ideas are based on the lessons I have learned the hard way, wisdom that only now I have realized I should have known and acted on years ago. But if you don't have a lot of money, the banks rarely give you the best advice. You usually only have conversations with salespeople at the low level. If no one in your family or circles uh, of those you, who you look up to have good grasp on financial literacy, you may find yourself drowning in debt. The earlier you learn these skills, the better. Remember, most get-rich schemes are just that, schemes. They fail for almost everyone and uh, result in large financial losses, so try not to get swept up in the hype. Protect yourself and your finances through smart financial self-defense. This includes knowing enough to know when someone is feeding you bullshit. For if you simply give your money to someone to manage outright, you don't know enough to check. You could actually find yourself losing it all to the next big Ponzi scheme. Read up on Bernie Madoff. Becoming financially literate, learn enough to play the long game, and start early. If you do, you will be in better shape than the majority of the population. Remember, self-defense is not just physical. What other skills might you need to properly defend yourself in the modern world? Okay, how is that, right? pretty good not extensive if you don't know anything you should see a financial advisor now you know with that being said you know i bank with one of the if not the largest bank in my country and 
both as a business owner and as a um, civilian, I guess, non-business owner, I can tell you that they don't really give a shit about you until you have over like 100 grand in investments with them or a certain amount. I know as a business, whenever I went to business advisors, the, literally the low-end people that will talk to someone with less than 100 grand a year or more, I don't know what it is for businesses, um, they're idiots. They're just glorified tellers, and, and not to disparage them, but I have yet to meet one where I was thoroughly impressed with what they were saying and, and the advice that they were giving me. One of them wasted my an hour of my time once just because they like quote doing their job knowing i wasn't going to get approved for something it's like dude tell me in the first five minutes this is what i want yeah you're not going to get approved I waste an hour of my time because they're trying to like sell it up and it's like dude fuck off really like and that's that's this frustration a lot of us have is we can't get access to the appropriate people a lot of the time unless you know them that's how i've managed to get things that I wouldn't have normally because I personally know people in various jobs, financial advisors, you know, and my accountant too, and uh, other people who can tell you, no, this is what's up. Assuming they know what they're talking about, but I usually tend to draw towards people who do. Um, so it can be very difficult to get good advice. Your friend Bob will not always have the advice unless they're like a top financial advisor. The people who know what they're doing you need to have more money, right? And this is this is what you could say is the um, the classist thing is you can't get access to the people who actually know what they're doing until you have money, or you complain enough, right? And that's not how it should be. There should be higher standards of hiring. I really believe that this idea, you know, banking used to be being a teller used to be a prestigious job, and now just any idiot out of high school can do it. And then you just these people don't know what they're talking about. So how are you supposed to get advice? Well, a good thing is you have the internet, right? The internet, you know, don't don't just do quick get rich get quick schemes. You have to learn how to manage your money. And you also have to be careful. Marketing is different. For example, um, the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, great book. You know, um, flipping houses. Even when I read that book a long time ago, I didn't have the capital to invest in flip houses, but I wanted to, and I looked into it. In Canada, it's not that worth it. Because there's all sorts of anti-flipping laws that are just insane. It doesn't make it even uh, the most economical. Uh, you can do it, but it's not like in the States in many places where you can just do it. So like, that's a great book, and it puts you into the right mentality. But can you actually do it where you live? Right? When you get financial advice or investment advice, you need to see, does this work in my market? Uh, and a good example is Vancouver. It's just a fucked up city about a lot of things. For, it's a wonderful city, but it's just weird. Like, you know, I'll get these companies selling me marketing products or, for example, to boost my business. And I'm just like, do you know how painfully difficult it is to get Vancouverites to use apps for anything? Like, it's in, it's insanely difficult. Like gyms, like sign-in apps. It's like students are just like, oh, it's not that big. It's like, no, you have to. You go to New York, LA, boom, no problem. They're like, oh, they've tested these apps in the city, these marketing apps. They work great. You try them out here, nothing, right? It's just a completely different place. And uh, you have to, one of my point is you need to know what works where you live for financial advice. Some things are universal, supply and demand. Other things like flipping houses for investments, you may not be able to do it as easily where you live, right? You might not even be able to buy a house in a country that doesn't allow you because you're not you know, a citizen, you know, you have to look into this stuff. But the most important thing you can do, as mentioned, is invest early and consistently. Like, I wish 
I wish I'd known. I mean, I kind of did, but I, you know, I remember when I was younger, I was like, I want to get into investments. Like, I don't know, 12 or 13, but my parents are, you know, you need your, you need your parents at that age. They don't like investing. They're not into it. They're not interested. They had no interest in helping me set up accounts and getting into it. And basically I couldn't do anything. And then when I was older, um, I didn't have them a little bit older. I didn't quite have the money because it was still not the point where you could easily self-invest online. And I just kind of didn't get into it. I did start RRSPs though, which is a start. Then I stopped for a few years, but then I realized even if you put 50 bucks a month in, it's it's compound interest. So I've started doing that again, and well, for a while now, right? Because I talked to a friend who's a financial planner, and they're like, oh, you got to do it even if it's only a little bit, right? If you can afford McDonald's five days a week, take one day out and put that away, like 20 bucks. I don't know. I don't know why you're spending 20 bucks on McDonald's, but whatever. You know, like, it's not difficult. Or if you can't, you set up auto deposit like things in your accounts to take it out automatically. So you don't even notice and psychologically you just see the money's gone and then you don't spend it. Right. You go out to the bar every single week, you know, a hundred dollars. You say you can't afford to invest a hundred dollars uh, a month in your RSPs or TFSAs in Canada. We have those or whatever your, uh, what are the 401ks? I don't know how that works in the States. Um, you know, just go out one day less a week or a month even, right? Buy one less thing. It's not difficult. And yet people find it such an insane thing. You know, the same thing with gym memberships. I really want to learn a martial art. I don't have 150 bucks a month. Then you look at their lifestyle and you're like, yeah, actually you do. You just don't care enough, right? And investing, of course, you need to diversify. These are the basic things, right? And I do want to talk about buy low, buy low, sell high. And that's a bit of a myth. Good luck timing that market right i need to buy low sell high and then you get your emotions into it uh if you do you can just set like usually like in my investment strategy you can set things to um change to basically like if it goes up by five cents sell it if it goes down by five cents sell it so that you just take the emotions out and you're not sitting there but again i'm at the point where i'm not really going to play the day-to-day market personally because um why risk it because i've been screwed so many times um, with that. So I kind of stopped, but if you have like 10 or 20 grand to play with, which I do not, you know, 5% is huge and then it's worth your time doing it. But if you're like in hundred dollars in that, so really what you do want to put it into is the managed funds. Usually again, I'm not an expert, but these managed funds, if you look at the performance rates, even in like, uh, these big market crashes, they usually bounce back within a year or two. So as long as you just long-term planning you're usually okay right that's why i diversify right like precious metals uh you know blue chip companies um some stocks if you want bonds you know whatever talk to your financial advisor or planner of course for see what your game plan is but you need to diversify because as i mentioned you know the dot-com bubble i know people who put all their money in and lost it so it uh it can be a problem Right, so there you have that about financial self-defense. Actually, here's a thing: I believe I talked about it in there, but like, come on, school system. Where is your education in high school? I mean, balancing a checkbook's maybe not really a thing anymore. Although I know people who are like, I don't know how to use a check. Right, learn how to at least run a budget. 
right? Learn how basic investments in high school this should be. What is a stock? What is a bond? What is this? How to do about bookkeeping, right? How to do basic accounting for where you live, of course, right? These life skills, you want to talk about uplifting people? Those are life skills that people need, right? Keeping those out of the school system is a mandatory thing. Just easy course, man, will change lives dramatically. How to manage money, how to spend money, how to plan, how to invest, how to build wealth. Just simple, right? Compound interest as a means to build wealth. Teach this in high school. Seriously, what is... uh, You talk about education and yet they keep taking things out, taking things out. I know... You know, civics used to be a thing, I believe. Maybe they taught that things, or maybe that's something else in the States. I don't know. But, like, just what is so wrong with these educators? They went so ham on the STEM stuff for so long, even though most a lot of people aren't even interested in it. Yeah, it's base knowledge, but you're making it so complicated for people who aren't interested. Give them a basic course and then let them take all the other actual life skill courses. Teach trades in high school. I know some places do that. But I mean, geez, you know, these education systems say they want to make a better future for people. And yet you see the garbage they're teaching. This is a simple way to fix that. I mean, seriously, teach financial literacy. But I guess half the teachers don't have financial literacy. So how are the students? You know, it's a roundabout bullshit thing, right? So anyways, financial literacy, it's super important. Get on it. The next one is, of course, mental self-defense. So this is something... I have personal experience in if you followed me for a while and uh, I have an education. I do have an associate's in psychology. Woo, I left because they're all left-wing nut jobs. So I'm like, I can't deal with this anymore. But I also learned a lot about the state of science. So let's just listen to mental self-defense. Mental self-defense. This is the third part in the series, Self-Defense is Not Just Physical. Out of all the topics covered in this series, this is the one I have the most formal education in. While my experience isn't enough for me to claim to be an expert, it does provide me with insight on the topic of mental health. What I can say for certain is that this area of mental health, there is often a lot of noise. There are good studies and there are bad studies, and then there is everything in between. One thing I learned early in the psychology field is that what is considered acceptable in a study isn't necessarily appropriate to apply directly to the general population or inform our understanding across multiple cultures. I also learned that there are massive divides running through the world of psychology as to various schools of thought and areas of focus often do not get along. There is also a deep quote, there is also a deep uncertainty in the field itself. Psychiatrists have no blood tests or brain scans to diagnose mental disorders. They have to make judgments based on interviews, checklists, and symptoms. Benedict Carey, What's Wrong with Your Child? Psychiatrists often disagree. The Washington Post, November 11, 2006. Brain scans have come along since then, but still. Ultimately, psychology, while it is considered the science of the mind and behavior, it is not an exact science. The often referenced checklist of symptoms are often based on information provided in the much debated Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or DSM. More often than not, these complications make finding good advice for mental health difficult, especially if you are in the, quote, thick brown soup, so-called by Safi Bakal on The Tim Ferriss Show, that can be a mental health episode. 
So let's forget any formal training or education I've had, but rather focus on the fact I have personally dealt with mental health issues in the form of clinical depression from both nature, family genetics, and nurture, learned behavior, and crappy adolescence components, of which I feel I have mostly cured myself of, with a little help or so, with little help or support from the few close people I had in my life, which makes it even harder. So trust me when I say I understand. Even if you get the impression that I'm an insensitive prick, I added that bit to your mental health plight. Throughout my life, I have also had friends and acquaintances who've experienced a variety of states and a variety of mental health issues, such as severe anxiety, bipolar disorder, manic and clinical depression, PTSD, and much more. I have been exposed to such individuals simply by virtue of not living a sheltered life, and by recognizing that perhaps the saying, birds of a feather flock together, has some truth to it. For those who had both decent genetics and stable upbringings with good role models, in my experience, these people often struggle to deal with those who have mental health issues often due to prevalent social stigmas causing those with mental health issues to perhaps be naturally naturally drawn or pushed to each other. This, of course, results in a history of rather interesting, albeit difficult, personal relationships. Merely two paragraphs ago, I mentioned that I often come off as insensitive to those who have mental health issues, but really it's about my understanding of a simple fact. If you, with all of your mental burdens you are feeling, want to get better, There is only one person who can truly help you get better. You. It is a harsh reality to accept, especially if you are struggling. Medication, which I took for a few years and it did help me, or counseling, which I also dabbled with, will do nothing for you if you don't do the work to change how you think and how you live your life. Outside intervention may be even reinforcing the way you think and feel. Much like addicts, the story we all like to tell ourselves is that no one understands, even when we meet other people with similar problems, if not identical. We still like to say things like, but you don't really understand, or my situation is worse, or you can change, I can't. A topic, by the way, recently discussed by Dr. Drew on the podcast of Fighter and the Kid, so don't just take my word for it. Take it from an addiction specialist. And that podcast was episode, just in case you're wondering, 546. While yes, there are extreme cases, most of the time you are no different than the other person experienced the same thing. The cause or specifics may be different, but the feeling is the same. There is a reason, after all, those people experiencing the same mental health problems often have very similar brain scans. Because fundamentally, in your brain, it's the same problem. This means that once you can get over yourself, and I really mean that, get over yourself, and realize you want to get better, you are likely already halfway down the path to a happier life. The next step is getting off the couch and doing something about it. Medication, I figured... Starting here was a good place, because it's probably one of the more controversial topics. Generally, I operate on the bell curve model for most things. Some people who have mental health issues are serious enough to need help may need to be on medication indefinitely, let's say 5-10% to on one side of the bell curve. Some people may never need medication, let's say 5-10% to on the other side of the bell curve. And then everyone else falls into some kind of spectrum depending on many factors. 
Let's start with something very important first. For most people, the first thing you do in mental health episode crisis is to contact a doctor, whether there be a general pr practitioner or a walk-in clinic, also probably a GP. Therefore, it is likely the first person you will interact with only understands mental health in a general sense. Furthermore, they may not be able to consider the larger context of your life or specifics of your particular situation. They have limited time, especially in a system like ours in Canada. They have you for about 10 minutes. In general, most GPs and the like only have one tool, medication. In my opinion, pills are often overprescribed and should rarely be the first choice of action. It is, however, the easy route, even though it is really not the best place to start. A reminder, though, some people do require medication, even if only for a short time. But in general, long-term use is not advised in most cases. Again, my opinion. The reason I say this is a simple one. Sometimes the factors causing mental illness or episodes are often very much environmental factors, such as a horrible job, terrible home life, a death in the family, or lack of social skills. Doctors rarely have the time to truly dive into your life to figure out if it's a non-biological factor that is causing your distress. You may not even know people like to lie to themselves about the situations they are in. And it can take weeks or months for people to open up and be honest. Questions you should ask yourself are, Can I find a different job? Am I able to change my living conditions? Or is there a family history of this issue? Even in undiagnosed ones. Often also a common one is, my relationship is shitty, I need to get out of it. Uh, this should always be the place to start, asking questions. Often this means deep and difficult discussions with yourself, which may result in requiring serious and difficult life-changing changes. This is why medication is often the route people take, because it is easier. For the record, I was on selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, for about two years, and for me, it was a great help because I finally started to understand what people were talking about when they said, just be happy. My mind literally had no frame of reference internally for this notion, and I simply could not understand. This is why, in my case, where there is clearly a family history, it was hard for me. Being on medication really helped me gain the basic framework from which to start building an internal external skills to cope and change how my mind worked. But I knew being on SSRIs was not a lo long term was not great, and they do have drawbacks. I was lucky to only made me feel fatigued and robotic. Although weirdly enough, the latter helped me socially as I was more likable because I was less emotional or reactive. People liked the toned down version, but for me it really wasn't a long term option, so I slowly weaned myself off SSRIs after about two years, which was its own struggle. Anyways, it can't be overstated that a doctor whose first response is to give medication without proper follow-up and significant look into your life and context, in my opinion, should not be a doctor anymore. They are just being lazy and dishonest. For me, the decision to go on medication was only after I had done everything else from therapy to moving to another country. Jeez, that's a big one. Even then, it was only after a serious manic depressive episode that it occurred to me that there was actually something seriously wrong. So should you go on medication? Which type should you go on if you do? For how long? Should you go on something meant for short-term relief or long-term regime? There is a difference. Often people end up on short-term stuff for long-term and shame on the doctors who keep prescribing it. These are all good questions that really need to be deeply considered with yourself, your doctor, and any consulting mental health professional you have access to. 
I generally believe that if you have not done anything to improve your life situation, then you should try other strategies first. If after several life adjustments things haven't changed, then medication, even for a short time to get you moving, may simply be what your brain needs to rest and heal. A word of warning. To my knowledge, they don't really have a good way of knowing which medication and at which dose to give start people on. It is often guesswork based on feedback from the patient. The thing is, most people give very dishonest feedback for whatever reason. I remember going on SSRIs at 5 milligrams, nothing changed. Then 10, nothing changed. My doctor said, let's do 20 milligrams, and if it doesn't work, we'll try the different type. I casually asked the pharmacist, how do I know if it works? They said, if it's working, you'll know. The pharmacist was correct. For me, the particular brand at 20 milligrams was like a ray of sunshine in the darkness. It immediately kicked in, you know, a couple hours later. Later, when I was going off the meds, I was on only 10 milligrams and eventually none. If you're honest, you will know if it's working. Do not just say it if there is no real change. Therapy. This may be a better place to start once you have identified that there is an issue. Here's the thing. Therapy if not covered by medical insurance, can be very expensive indeed. One thing that drives me nuts is when a mental health professional tried to tell a person who is broke and already struggling that they can find a way to afford counseling sessions at $100 an hour, at least once a week, because it's worth it. While it may very well be worth it, it might also be more of a financial burden than the individual can handle. The other thing is, just like doctors or any professional, there is a reason there is always a best-in-field. Many therapists, whether they're a psychiatrist, private therapist, or public therapist, will be better at their job than others. This means that the chances of finding someone who is effective, who you connect with, and who you can afford is very difficult. However, especially if you don't have a support neck, someone is better than no one. What I will say is don't just stick to the first person who could see you. If you don't click, you don't click. Find someone else. I would also caution that in most cases, if you have seen them for more than six months or a year, other than for maintenance checkups, they may just be taking your money. A decent therapist can often give you what you need in far less sessions than you think. That is, of course, if they are decent and they are not trying to take advantage of you. For some, several sessions may be required at regular intervals at the beginning to assess and build up a framework. Others may need only one. It really depends. I would like to stand up for therapists, though, and say that often the reason things haven't gotten better for a person regularly seeing a therapist is that the person is using the therapist as a crutch and hasn't actually done anything to improve their life outside of therapy, as in don't just use them as a venting source. Remember, the responsibility for getting better is on you, not the therapist. They can only guide and advise. They are not supposed to tell you what to do, which means that if you keep saying the same things to you for years and years and years the fault is on you i know people don't like to take responsibility even in normal times let alone mental health situations but sorry it's the truth there is a reason after all that cognitive behavioral therapy cbt still tends to be the most effective type of therapy for treating a variety of mental health issues as the onus is on you to do the work on a consistent daily basis and reshape how you think about the world and yourself so pick your therapist wisely and remember that you need to want to get better no matter who you talk to. Support networks. They say having a strong support network helps. That is, if you have one. 
Some people are lucky enough to have strong group of supportive friends they built up from high school or have strong family support at all levels. Though to be honest, if you have several mental health problems, there's a good chance you did not have a very strong support network from the start. If you do, then that's awesome. You have a leg up and I'm very happy for you. In my case, though, I had a few very consistent people in my life who did offer support. The reality for me, they did not have the skills, knowledge, or time to really help me in a more meaningful way. I suspect that for many, this is a familiar experience. This is why no matter how hard it seems, it may be on you and you alone to get help. Notice a theme. The reason it can be difficult to have strong support network is because those in your life who have their shit together more than you are often too busy with their own lives or they don't have the energy to deal with what to them seems like a difficult friend. I can say that for me, someone who has always struggled to have strong connections with other people, partially due to mental illness, but also the fact I am a strong-willed person at the best of time. The majority of the people I thought were friends essentially bailed on me because I was too difficult to deal with. You can always look at this in a few ways. Or this situation. One, you are just too much. This may not be a popular thing to say, but dealing with people suffering from mental illness is tough. Unless those around you are really have their shit together and have the right temperament, you may actually be just too much for them to deal with at the time. It is very unfortunate, but it's also all too common scenario. It is not that they don't care. They just can't make you a priority in their life. It's okay. Everyone has their own lives. These are the people you should forgive. It is more an indication of their life, not yours. Two, they were not very good friends in the first place. To be honest, though, I admit I am a difficult person. I would say this is the category into which the majority of my, quote, friends I had before my episode fall. I say this because the vast majority of people didn't even try. They just saw I was being difficult and bailed on me outright. If this is the case, then be happy that they're out of your life. They clearly didn't care enough to even ask if everything was all right when signs are clear that they are not. Don't feel bad. Just know that when things get better, you will find new friends and you will be happier for it. 3. It really is your fault because you aren't even trying to get better. This applies to those people who have an active support network who are always trying to help, yet years later, nothing is better. There is a point at which you realize it or not that eventually people will give up on you. I am sorry, but you may be just too much in general and you aren't taking responsibility. Either way, you may need to seek different professional help or realize that if you don't change, everyone in your life who matters will be gone. If you don't want to change so that you can be happier, then there is nothing anyone can do for you. It is ultimately on you. They tried, you didn't. After a long enough timeline, don't be surprised when people walk away. The trick is to know which of the categories you fall into. If you have an amazing support network from the past or a new one, you will have discovered whether it be a new friend, a support group, or your mental illness, or a therapist, then that is awesome. But if not, do you fall into any of the three scenarios mentioned above, or is there another one? The truth is, you probably won't actually know until later, when your mind has calmed down and you can think clearly. It may even be years later that you finally uh, figure it out. But you... But know that it is easier with the support network. So building or finding one priority uh, in your first steps, make it a priority. 
You can get better without one if you really want to. Yes, it is a lot harder, but it can be done. I did it. In a country like Canada, there is a little reason why you should not be able to find something, as there are many government-funded resources and groups you can access. Even if they are not for you, they can often start you on a path of healing one way or another. Though I will say public-provided people are usually mediocre at best. Mental health, it can be quite a difficult topic to talk about objectively, as there are so much emotions and ego involved. One thing to remember is that you are not alone. In this world, there is something else who is feeling the same, someone else who is feeling the exact same as you. This is actually, in a weird way, good news. Because when enough people have the same issue, it means there are resources and solutions available. You just have to start looking. The first step is to identify that there is a problem, and which problem there is. Once you do that, you will find the path that allows you to get better so that you can have a happier, more productive life. I have met people who have all sorts of mental health issues. Some, at times, were quite serious, uh, but they managed to get it all sorted out the way... uh, They get it sorted out so that they could be happier and healthier. Others struggle with the same problems for years and years because despite being given the same advice from everyone around them, choose to stay in the shitty mental state that they claim to want to move on from. The latter probably do want to get better, but they have found all sorts of reasons not to. The choice is always yours. I know that if you are reading this or listening, this is you want it to get better. You want the pain to go away or at least lessen. And yes, it is pain, just like breaking a leg or bumping your head, but this one is not so simple to fix. It will require hard work and change. This post is not to be meant as a comprehensive mental health guide. It obviously can't be. Rather, it is meant to offer a perspective in thinking about mental health. The series has been about the fact that self-defense is not just physical, which means I wanted you to consider other areas of your life that could take a little bit of self-defense. Our lives have become ever more complicated, more so than our nervous systems are adapted for. If you are able to take care of yourself physically, but not mentally, and your whole world seems chaotic and painful, then what good is physical self-defense if you are still struggling to see the light? The answers are all interconnected, whether the concern is physical, mental, digital, or financial. They are all aspects of your life. You need to live a balanced life and seek to better yourself a little bit every day. Build one and it can build the others. So what are you waiting for? Make your life happier, healthier, and better today, even if only a little bit. Okay, well there you have mental self-defense. I hope it wasn't too, too much. That was a bit of a longer one, so whatever. You know, my normal podcasts are what they are. And uh hope you're not crying. And if you are, uh, well, maybe you need to take a look at your life and see why you're crying. Something to check, mental self-defense, right? So, some of this is opinion that I think we're having a crisis right now socially, partially because my generation, the millennials, were raised under false beliefs of how to raise people. It's, It's people realized it was all wrong. You know, in the 80s and 90s, late 80s, 90s, the participation revel- ribbons. Nobody's nobody's better than anybody else. It's all okay. And, like, they just completely fucked it up because it was just, you know, bad studies in the 60s and 70s that took popularization 
and then took off and then they're just god garbage ideology that was so poorly done that gave no mental fortitude you know protecting children from everything so they have no ability to to mentally defend themselves right you gotta let kids hurt themselves you gotta let kids experience you can't protect them from everything otherwise you create these goddamn bubble children um and uh it's just just a problem that was avoided by people by the way like i met tons of people in the psychology field that are fucking morons and then I met tons of people who, just like me, joined to become, to fix their own problems, right? I left also not just because of left-wing nut jobs, but because I was like, dude, I don't want to do this for a living, right? I realized this is not for me, and too many people just stick to it, and they shouldn't do it. Just because you want to help people doesn't mean you're good at it. Like, get your head out of your ass, Right. If you don't have yourself sorted out, you're not going to realistically help other people. It's like uh, airplane masks. I mean, you can, but the effectiveness is not great. And of course, you're going to be pushing your own things a lot of the time uh, to people who are. That's why I can't talk to people who are having crises because I'm like, dude, you, this is the he, this is what you need to do. They don't want to because they're not in the mental state to it. So I realized I'm not the person to deal with the person who's having an episode. But I can give you the advice you need to do when you're stable enough right and it's you got to get off your ass you got to do stuff a lot of the time and it's tough who wants to admit they're fucked up now you know parents you fuck up okay you gotta admit it oh it's hard being a parent no shit maybe you shouldn't have had a kid so early or maybe you should have learned something maybe you're a wonderful parent at 20 maybe you're a wonderful parent at 30 maybe you're a terrible parent at 50 who the hell knows but you got to take some goddamn responsibility as well. Like, I don't understand if a kid says, you know, my parents didn't do this. Well, don't blame your parents. Well, under 18, where they're supposed to develop you, I disagree and think, yeah. Okay? Now, you don't have to continually throw them under the bus. But you need to have the conversations with your kids and your parents, respectively, discussing, listen, I was not happy with this. And there needs to be some acknowledgement. Because, you know, if you can't do that, then it's going to be hard. Once you're over 18, though, right, it's very, very much on yourself. Although under 18, if you're, you know, more or less a lucid teenager, it's, it's a lot on yourself, too. Although I know it's a lot harder, right? You got to you gotta get up. You know, as Safi, I can always screw his name, Safi Bachal said on Tim Ferriss' show, um, you know, it's a thick brown soup, basically. It, it can feel like that. And I don't think I put it in. It was... I'm not sure what episode. Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, 382 on the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, actually, I haven't really been listening to it lately, but whatever. I still like the show. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it can be very tough, right? You know, but you can also look at, like, you know, suicide attempts. And say for women, especially, it tends to be, attempts tend to be higher in women by a considerable amount and, uh, Attempts are less by men, but men tend to be more successful because of the methodology. But what that means is that people are on the edge of suicide. Actually, there's that chance, right? If you're not, if you didn't do it, then you want you obviously want help. And I'm not suggesting you do it. Okay, I'm not saying that. Don't take it out of my context. But you have to realize, like, the fact that someone didn't do it but almost did it. There's that room, right? So you you have to find a way as an individual. To, to get enough to get to the point where you can you can get off the couch and do something right 
you know, in my case, I, I, I've talked about it before. It's like I literally had a manic depressive episode a long time ago. Didn't know what was going on. Lost 30 pounds in two weeks. I was shaking, you know, and, you know, like my parents knew something was wrong, but they don't have the skills to deal with it. Don't even know how to ask the questions. Uh, workers, coworkers didn't give a shit, right? That's why I say, like, I did it myself. And then I went to the doctor and was like, I think something's seriously wrong with me. And it, you know, it's the first time that we discussed, and then it went from there. Now, I did talk about doctors. They, you know, Canada, we have an okay system here because they'll usually refer you to a psychiatrist, uh, government-funded ones, and they're okay, right? Government-funded ones here are mediocre. The, the good ones usually cost money, uh, just to be honest. So, you know, if you get a government-funded one, it, you kind of have to take what you get, and it's a, it's a crapshoot. I wasn't that impressed with group therapy, quite frankly, provided by the government. It was hacky and poorly. They're just like barely managing these people who are falling apart. And it's just, you know, these poor people just wanted some connection and they were taking the old stance, which I strongly disagree of. Don't make connections with your with your people. Don't make any connections. Even though research has shown that the best therapy is when you can make a connection to the person, right? For example, uh, veterans recovering from PTSD will respond better when the person managing the group is a veteran who had PTSD who got over it, right? A group from the people who are depression, just like AA, should be run by people who got over it, who also have degrees in the skills. Because if you're just some, you know, white-collar asshole, no offense to white-collar, you're just sitting there being like, I understand, you might not... On the contrary, you know, a lot of, I, I talked about that, and the Dr. Drew mentioned it for, for addicts, but it's the same, I think, for people with mental illnesses. You, you're not addicted to the state, per se, because you don't, you know, you want to get better, obviously. But you all you know is that state. So it's not about addiction. It's that all you know is your state. And whether you realize it or not, it might be the comfortable way to be. And humans in general, even when stable, don't like you know, to be feeling discomfort. So it is a challenge and you will be, you know, to not to call it addiction, but you'll be addicted to that state of mind and you need to learn how to get out of it. The way you think is just so natural that you, you need to change away. As I was talking about medication, for me, it was, you know, an eye opener. It just changed everything. And I even mentioned it was hard. Uh, when I went off medication, it was a hard decision because I was calmer. My mind wasn't firing a million miles a minute, and I would take time to talk to people, take time to answer, to listen better. It's hard for me normally because my mind is going so fast. And, and when I went off, I was like, this is another challenge that I'm going to have to deal with. Right? My girlfriend at the time, who wonderful person, also had issues um, wanted me to go off said you, you know they're not meant to be on uh ssris for a long time and she she was right you're not supposed to you're really not and if you are you know it's unfortunate but it, some people do need it by the way i did mention that but you're not supposed to be they're meant to be like a suture for a, a scar like an open wound like just to let it heal properly until you can learn the skills right and i went off and of course my personality shifted and all of a sudden, we had trouble, and she I don't think she could handle it anymore. You know, my other personality traits are hard enough. 
And so we didn't work out after that. But like, that's the thing about medication. It changes who you are and then other people might not be able to deal with it. And it's very, it's a very tricky topic. Right. And I went off of it and and it took a long time for me to stabilize like another two years really. But I learned and I'm learning now through podcasts and other ways just to check in is, you know, you know, in the moment I can be angry, but it's, uh, you, you, oh wait, I don't want to be like this. And you calm yourself down. Right. These conversations you have in your head, regardless of whether you're on medication or not, right? And I, and I also did say, like, more in America than here, but doctors, you motherfuckers, stop prescribing, you know, whatever these pills are just because people want it. Stop, right? They need to do full-on, in-detail checks, right? As I said, here, doctors have 10 minutes with you. They're not doing objective tests. They'll, they'll fill out a survey. Okay, well, you filled out the survey. Yeah, you should probably th- go think, see a therapist. Hey, you're not the expert on that. Just refer them to the people, okay? Now, moving on to therapy, right? Therapy can be wonderful, but therapy can also be horrible, right? So a couple things, right? Is your therapist any good? If you don't have any insight into psychology, it can be very difficult because you might have a shit one and you won't even know it. But a good indicator is, has anything changed six months later? You're seeing them every week. Or two times a week. Has anything changed? Nothing's changed. Either they suck or you're not trying. It goes both ways, right? And not to throw therapists under the bus completely. The other thing is, is therapists, I don't think I mentioned this, they will often attach themselves to different schools of thinking. Well, from my understanding, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, is statistically by a long shot, not even debatable, the best therapy. So why are we even debating these schools now, right? This should be the fundamental. It's basically teaching you how to think, teaching you how to talk to yourself, teaching you that the way you were thinking is wrong. Yes, wrong. And that until you learn to correct that, it's going to be a challenge. So I know someone who is saying, you know, they have wild, wild mood swings and wildly unstable behavior. And their therapist, I believe, told them something like, uh, oh, it's okay to behave like that. Um, you have to let your emotions out. It's in your body. It's like, yes, that that's very true. You know, if you let your your emotions build up, it becomes a physical manifestation. But why is it okay to get to that point of rage and smashing? It's not okay. And the goal of CBT would be to teach individuals that they need to realize they're going into that state. Right? Yeah, you get to that state, smash and hit, but it is inappropriate behavior. And for a therapist to suggest it's not inappropriate behavior in the society that we live in is delusional. I'm sorry. But what you can say is that I'm going to use, you know, CBT. I'm not an expert on CBT, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But how to think to correct the mindset before it gets to that state so that you don't end up in the state that you hate, right? Why? Oh, if you get to that state, it's fine. It's normal. You just smash something that's not a person. It's okay. Or learn not to get into that fucking state, you moron. Like, what kind of shitty, lazy advice is that? Right, the amount of mental energy of an individual waste because I've been there in these states it's it's not worth the time four hours, six hours, ten hours, you know, Just learn not to get there, oh, I can't help it, I can't control it, yes, you can get over yourself, figure out a way, whether it's recognizing you're getting uncomfortable, and you need to go take a walk, recognizing that the conversation is getting out of hand and you need to say, listen, I need to, we need to stop this conversation for five minutes so I can calm down. And we, if the other person doesn't respect them, then 
respect that request, right? That's setting boundaries, right? And you need to communicate with the people in your life. Because, you know, as I said, you know, the support network as well, it's a difficult thing. I have had shitty support networks over my life, really shitty. And I mean it, you know, people will often say some, I bet you if you talk to me like, oh, John wasn't a good friend. It's like bullshit. You call me at two in the morning needing help. I'm there. But I remember numerous times I call people two in the morning. Nah, they're too busy. Right. So that's why I say fuck them. And they were not good support networks for me because, you know, my I fully acknowledge my behavior was erratic when I was younger. I'm dealing with shit I didn't even know I was dealing but most people's response is like ah he's just crazy even the people who are close in my life like you don't want to have conversations with me you're just too self-absorbed with your own shit that's why I say I said you know I had the three things that you are just too much right it's not necessarily that they don't love you or can't help you it's just too much but you need to still have those conversations if a friend you need to tell them listen like I love you but it's just too much. Like, I'm really busy. I just can't. Maybe here, here's a therapist card. Like, that's what number one meant, right? It's just they don't have the mental capacity, and that's to- totally normal. I remember I was listening to a podcast with uh, B'nai Brown. It's a, a therapist. Strategy she implements with her husband was like, hey, today I'm at 10%. If the other one's like at 90%, okay, I'll pick up the rest, right? You got to communicate with people. You're too much right now. I don't have the mental capacity, right? This is fine. You don't take it personally. I mean, you can just realize that I need, I'm too much. Okay. And then number two is what I was talking about earlier is, you know, they're just shitty friends. They don't actually give a shit. Right. And that's, I, that's becoming more and more and more common these days as people aren't really, uh, very into anything. Right. Um, so there's that. And then of course there's the, you're just a piece of shit. I joking. You're not a piece of shit, but it's your fault. Cause you're not trying, right? You're broke get a job or try to get a job right example right stop stop saying it's everyone else's fault go get a job go get the skills same thing here nothing is going right if it's 20 years therapy everyone's trying to help you maybe you need medication if the medication is not working you need different medication and maybe you need different therapists maybe you need better health a lot of times by the way it's connected to health eat better drink less right some people just can't drink for example Right, and of course, drinking is an actual addiction, so deal with it appropriately. But you know, you have to do the work if you want to get better, and this is why no one, no one's getting better because they just they don't want to, right? So it's tough, right? And it's the other thing about knowing where you fall is, you know, be honest, and maybe you don't have the skills to be introspective and to delve deep. Some people don't. But then you really have to listen to your support network. If they're telling you something, you may be able to listen to them. If you can't have conversations with yourself or you don't know how. Um, but you got to figure it out. Right? And and you need to know what you're doing. That you want to get better. Because, you know, people do. Like, I know people um, that they know what the problem is. But they're not putting in the work. Or they are, but it's not getting the results they want, which means they're not putting in enough work. Right? These are the things you have to be honest about. Why am I not getting better? Right? Real crazy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same different results. Right? You got to change it up. You know, sometimes a relationship is not good for you. Sometimes relationships are tough, but they're good for you. 
knowing the difference is hard because a lot of people will stay in relationships that are not in fact good for them saying oh no they are and then a lot of people will leave relationships because they're tough but they're actually good for you right they're developing you and it's hard to know the difference most people just run away from hardship so that's why mental health is so difficult for people you know statistically women take more time off for mental health and and men you know don't and you can say it's because men bottle up their feeling you could make an argument maybe better coping mechanisms you know just let it go it's not important right the anxiety is not it's not worth it and you know to be honest i'm realizing i also have anxiety not not bad anxiety people think i'm this blindly confident person but it's like no i realizing i have anxiety right and i have to realize i'm not doing something because of anxiety and i have to tell myself that's why i'm not doing something and and I should just do it. And, you know, I found uh, something to help me. Ironically, it's coffee, right? It's, I'm taking this for Sigmatic coffee. They're not a sponsor. But to be honest, like, I even thought about, I have a hard time focusing. I have a hard time with trial and error. It's to do with, like, maybe I'm ADD, ADHD. But I'm such a functional person. Doctors in Canada don't like to diagnose me with anything. But, uh, you know, I've, I've dabbled with some things, and it's like, no, I definitely have trouble focusing when I take some things. This coffee, by the way, I, is excellent um, because I can focus and I can manage my time better. I found a tool through searching. It took me years to find something that works for me, right? There's this one-size-fit-all therapist, and the system wants to do one-size-fit-all because from an administrative perspective, it is easy, but life is not easy, and this is why big government is bad, because they make things so complicated when it doesn't need to be. Just like when you're mentally ill, you're making things so much more complicated than it needs to be, right? If you're seeing things, guess what? You probably need meds. Or you got to take the long journey to really teach yourself what's real and what's not, and that's that's a hard one, right? I, I have met people who see stuff. It's tough, right? It's not me. <laughs> Luckily, that would be very difficult when reality is not meshing. But you got to find what works for you. For me, it's this coffee for, for my focus needs. It's m- healthier than freaking being on medif- medication anyways. Right? What are you going to do? How? What's your journey? Are you going to research? Are you going to put in the work? Are you going to meditate? Are you gonna, what are you going to do? Are you going to stretch? Are you going to walk? Do you need to get up and go for walks? If you're not doing anything, you're just sitting there. Sorry, it's on you. Right, that's the real thing about stop blaming society. I mean, you can to a degree, but because there's lots of things wrong with society. But if the issues are you, then sorry, it's not not going to fix it. Society's not going to fix it. You gotta fix it, right? And that's I think why things are so chaotic because people don't want to take responsibility. Yeah, it's tough, right? I'm going a long time on this mental illness thing because it's it's an area that I know about, right? You gotta get over your fucking self and fix it you want to get better we know you want to get better so do it and if you have friends who are having a tough time you need to be honest with them i have the energy to deal with it i don't if they're overwhelming you right and you need to help them guide if you can't handle it guide them in their hey here's a therapist hey here's a thing here's a thing you know you can try it that's all you can do because people don't want to get better they won't just i believe 10 or 20 percent of people just just don't want to get better Right, this idea everyone can get better. Well, no, some people don't. They just don't want it. So, what are you gonna do? Or they just don't not capable. Whatever, it's just the way it is. Right? These are the individuals who need society. They need society's help to support them a little bit. 
but it's just the way it is, right? We can't pretend everyone's at the same state all the time because it's just, it's not true. Uh, you know, and mental health is tough, right? The lockdowns were wreaking havoc on mental health, which everyone saw it coming from a mile away. And no, the government's completely failed to give people the coping mechanisms and then just berated them for wanting to go outside, and, which was insane. I mean, they lied about the masks and then they wreck, wreaked havoc on people's mental health and businesses. It's disgusting, right? They just don't think about the... They're such narrow-minded fools. Oh, we don't want deaths because we don't we want to get reelected, and yet they did more damage, in my opinion, than they did good in many ways. Just, just not acting fast enough, then making the wrong decisions, then panicking, and just silliness. Right, good good job screwing up everyone. Now we got a whole nother screwed up group of people. Thanks. Right, so there's you know, there's mental health. It's on you. You need a support network. It's hard. It's the hardest thing you're gonna have to do. Right, people can come in and do Krav Maga with me, and I can teach them physically. But I have students I know they need mental health work, and I'm not gonna do both for them. Right, and I can tell them you need to do. You need to. Look. Some people walk away on me. They don't come back because they don't they think I'm being mean or whatever. But it's like, dude get your shit together right some people are too much and i'm like no you can't be in class you can't you can't control yourself you can't be here right it's just the way it is if you want to partake meaningfully and be happy but also contribute to society you got to work on this stuff and i gotta be real honest there's a lot of left-wing wooey wooey bullshit or they take the totally good science and they spin it in these delusional ways right I know a lot of guys are like, I don't want to do yoga. It's it's it's, it's that. Do it, man. I do, what's it? Diamond Dallas Page saying, yeah, you think you're so manly you can't do yoga? He's got his whole thing, right? Find what you need to do. It might be not something that you think is hippie-ish, but find a group of people who are not being stupid about it and but doing the same thing that you can relate to, right? There's always ways. People who've been through what you've been through, right? You remember, you're not the only person, okay? So this is a lie that you're telling yourself that's not true. Oh, no one understands. Yes, they do, right? I talked about it. The uh, brain scans, they show depressed brains look the same. So, you know, I hope this has given you some, some ideas, right? I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but that's what the point of these series is, is, is that the, the, the posts are more coherent, structured, and then my, my feedback in between, right? So mental health, what are you going to do for yourself to get better, right? Digital health, what are you doing on your computer, your devices to protect yourself from the outside world, right? Financial self-defense, we're all fucked financially. Most of us are fucked financially, let's be honest, right? Because you don't know what to do. The earlier you do it, the better, Right? Most of us figure it out in our 30s or 40s. And by then it's like, man, I could have been retired in my 40s if I'd started younger. You know, so it's uh, it's tough. So I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you come back for more. So this is episode 50 and this is the first uh, podcast uh, blog post series. Uh, there'll be more when, who knows. And uh, I'll see about getting some guests because I finally figured out uh, Zoom properly. So. We can do that in the future. So hope you had a good time listening and fight the fight. Find the best version of yourself. Find your balance mentally, physically, spiritually. Awesome.